Hello, I'm your host, Vito Labate. I lead global sector marketing at the Capgemini Group. And welcome to this Capgemini podcast on intelligent supply networks. This is part of a Capgemini podcast series on consumer products, retail, and distribution. I have the pleasure today of being joined by our retail experts, Capgemini's Lindsay Maza and Cindy Lago, who will offer their insights on the latest trends and the technologies driving them. Vito, thank you so much for having us today. I'm Lindsay Maza, and I uh, have a long time at Capgemini responsible for some of our large retail merchandise planning transformations, really looking at how retailers use assortments and then get those assortments to the stores as well as to the consumers who want them. I currently lead our global domains in the retail supply chain space, and I'm very interested in sharing with our audience today what is going on in supply chain and fulfillment. And I'm Cindy Lago. I run the supply chain for North America for Capgemini. Prior to that, um, been in supply chain and cap for nine years. And before that, I spent the first half of my career in retail, um, specifically in planning for part of it. So looking forward to our conversation today. So Lindsay and Cindy, let's start by setting the scene for our listeners. There are many technologies out there that are helping organizations and their supply chains be more flexible offering better service to customers while also reducing the cost of planning, picking, and last mile delivery. But can you summarize what are these technologies and how are they enhancing the supply chain, would you say? Well, I mean, what you're going to see out there is that, you know, there's advanced analytics. Advanced analytics comes with artificial intelligence, using the Internet of Things to understand what um, people are doing, how the product is moving. You have um, intelligent things. You have, you know, machines that are now doing things for you that are giving you back feedback. You have the whole conversational systems. And I know Lindsay can talk a little bit more about that as well. Um, RPA, robotic processing automation, machine learning, um, really from a blockchain and what does blockchain mean? I think blockchain is still an interesting concept in retail as um, it still doesn't have a lot of buy-in yet. There's some, there's some good use cases out there, but it, it's, because of some of the other problems that we're going to talk about a little bit around some of the other things that need to be fixed in retail and in supply chain specifically, it's kind of hard to get that adoption today. So I think what, um, you know, what we want to talk about is some of the trends that we're seeing and, and really how people can take advantage of some of these technologies now um, and, and try to move their business forward. Absolutely agree. I mean, Cindy, excellent overview of the technologies. Um, I look at these as really enablers so that we can leverage technology in order to establish and do better at our core business processes. So I, I think from our perspective, it's looking at how these technologies help us to enhance what we're doing at our core in order to support the customer having a good experience in our stores and having a good experience online, having a, a good experience across our brand in any way they shop it. We've been hearing this week a lot about the idea of a modern smart planning approach to supply chain. And I wondered if you could lay out perhaps what are some of the key drivers that underpin this so-called modern approach? Absolutely. So, I mean, this is something that's very near and dear to both Cindy and myself. When, when we look at the supply chain, we're not just looking at order fulfillment and how a consumer is able to get a product that they order. But we're really looking all the way upstream at how retailers plan for those products. So I would see the, the three most critical areas that we look for in order to enhance our supply chains are what merchandise we plan. So creating good financial plans and then creating the right assortment to fit the consumer in a localized, tailored, 
personalized way is the first underpin of modern technology that's available out there for retailers to use in the supply chain space. The second one is looking at once I know what products will be in my assortment, what will the demand for those items be? How and where will consumers want those products? And how do we use things like the technology Cindy mentioned, AI, ML, um, in order to enhance our capability in forecasting, creating accurate forecasts to have the right products in the right location? And then lastly, it's that hyper-locality of fulfillment, perhaps using micro-fulfillment um, and new ways like dark stores and um uh, the gig economy in order to get products to consumers in the fastest way possible, uh, giving the consumer a choice between where and how they're able to accept the order that they've created. Those are the three, really looking at merchant assortment decisions, demand forecasting, and then how the order is fulfilled. So in the last few years, of course, we've heard nothing but it's all about data. Okay. And so I guess my question is, in all the things that you mentioned, what role does data play in, in having an effective supply chain approach? I mean, data has a huge role. And I think that people, you know, we've, we've tried to skirt it. You know, everybody's been like, let's let's fix the data in one system and, you know, get that system up and running. And, and what we've found is, you know, getting a data platform, having a platform where you can pull the data from that repository that can be used. And so you don't have a data swamp, you, have a, you truly do have a data lake. But the importance of the data is that, it, that having that information enables you to to really even the foundational data information enables you to make decisions that you you and automate things. If I don't have the right data, it's really hard to, hard to automate a process or to use machine learning or to use AI. If black is spelled 10 different ways in my system, you know, then I'm going to have to teach the system 10 different ways to look for black. And do you really want to spend your time and energy doing that? Or do you want to just fix it so you have the right structural data? And then you need to be able to have that um, structured data right because your unstructured data is a whole other ballgame that you have to try to get a hold of. And what we have seen is when you can have structured data that is good and you use that as your foundation and you lay in your unstructured data we've, and, you, and you're very thoughtful about what is the unstructured data you want and what is the, the strategic initiative you're trying to prove so that you're going after the right unstructured data, we've seen huge returns in, in people's um, profits and in the, their stock turns by using that right using that data in the right way. So data is really important because that's, Yes, it, it does not. It's not an insight, but it's what your foundation lays for you. So following up on that, Cindy, would you say, is it actually true, though, that an organization's assortment decisions are really predicated on the quality of the data that they gather? And if that is indeed the case, how can an organization get better, faster data and insights along the way? So I think it's a couple things. You have to have that foundation of that base assortment information that is um structured and it is clean and it is ready to go. And then you, when you start looking at unstructured, you start looking at some of these powerful tools out there that can bring in this unstructured data and look at these um, nuances that figure out similarities. Like I was speaking to a, a vendor today and they were talking about, you know what, if you send me the picture of the item and I can look at the item and then I can look at your attributes or your um, what you have marked as features that you want to look at for an assortment, it will take the, and read the picture and read those features and put those as features onto the, uh, the item. So, you know, you have your base foundation, then you have a, a good picture, which picture is a piece of data as well. 
And then you can use that to start building an assortment and start having a system make recommendations for you. So it's absolutely imperative to make sure that having those types of things available to you, the power that you can, once you have that alignment in your data of other tools is pretty amazing. I think what's most exciting for Cindy and I in our ability to help our clients make different decisions than they would have made 10 years ago, five years ago, three years ago, is that there's newly available unstructured data. So Cindy's talking about data being structured and unstructured, structured being that master data that we have in the organization, the types of attributes that we're able to gather from um, third-party syndicated data systems all being fully available unstructured being those that we're gathering from social media and from other places with our influencers in our brands network. And our ability to comb through those using things like uh, AI and machine learning that can learn more about what the product is through the picture that Cindy mentioned or through data that is being delivered from our consumers in terms of the queries that they ask or in terms of what they like and don't like online. Uh, the ability to pick the correct attribute is at the crux of new retail decisions for deciding on that assortment and creating a forecast associated with it. That driving attribute is the core of all retail merchandise transformational programs that we do with our clients. And where retailers are really seeing success is where, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, we had to create regression and analysis and figure out what those attributes are. We're now able to learn more about those attributes faster with the tool sets and technologies that are out there and use those attributes to make real-time product decisions that allow us to change the forecast, change the assortment to meet a specific and highly personalized customer's needs. So following up on what you said around forecasting, we're agreed, I think, as a group that any modern supply chain process, an essential part of that is demand forecasting. But do you have advice on how companies, how can they be forecasting demand more accurately now with all with the wealth of all this data versus in the past? So, I mean, they need well, to use a technology and exactly. we, found that, we yeah. found that the technology is able to forecast better than somebody going in and creating an exception management plan. Right. So yeah. for, for instance, if you've implemented an AI enabled forecasting technology, which there are many that are on the market right now. Um, the ambition is that the forecast is as most accurate as it can be when it comes through that system. They've optimized it for many, many factors. Now, there are certainly reasons why you might choose to sub-optimize your forecast and you know, require an exception management process, but the right. less that we touch the forecast, the better off we'll be. We're moving towards touchless planning and lights out demand forecasting as an industry. Right. And I would say the, the one thing you have to think about with that is not only the fact that, you know, I, I was joking because literally you don't want them to touch it to Lindsay's point. The accuracy is unbelievable. And if you spend your time focusing on those outliers and figuring out why and not focusing on doing them from an exception management perspective, you look at the outliers and say, why Why are the outliers? What are the features or influencers that are causing these items not to fit into my regular forecasting that I've seen before? And so that you can continue to make your AI and your machine learning demand sensing smarter and smarter so that it continues to be better. Because at the end of the day, the reality of it is you have to stop doing human intervention because you cannot get through the amount of data that you have to get through physically. One person can't do it. You can't throw people at this. This is not a people will solve it problem. This is, it's coming at you so fast and furious, real time, all the time. 
in different ways. You have to use a system to do it. So might, might I, the system being, we're not taking away the art, creating the merchandise plan, just establishing what the category represents and the items that'll be included within it, the styles that you'll sell. Those are all very artistic decisions that we're using technology and science to help enable. But we're combining the art and the science in that the way that we educate the, the system that is going to execute the machine learning, the inputs that we become, that we put in are the art that we can contribute to it. Um, and that is a very important role for retailers to do. The output is what we're asking, you know, clients not right. to touch as we move as an industry more towards lights out and fully automated forecast. Do you, on that point, do you detect that clients are reluctant to integrate the machine learning and AI angle? Or have you seen enhancements as a result of that? So, yeah, they are reluctant. And the reason they're reluctant is not because they haven't seen results, because they have. But where they're reluctant is exactly what Lindsay was just talking about. Because what she just said is is a huge change in the way they do business. It's a huge change management. It's a whole different way to execute your plan. So you're still using the same thoughtfulness. You're still using the same artistic information that you need and the same decision making from a merchant perspective of what their strategy is for their assortment and what they're trying to do and what where they what they feel like should be you know what their customers looking for from an art perspective, but they then have to let the system do its job and they can't, they have to trust it and they have, it's a business process change. It means that once the forecast is done and it feeds into the system, then, you know, it feeds into the, how it gets allocated and all of those different um, wheels start turning and all those different supply chain connection points start moving and you have to let, you know, yes, there's going to be exceptions and yes, there's things you have to look at, but the system needs to do its job and that becomes really important and that and that's a big a point of where it fails is because they'll test it and they'll do a test they'll do a poc and people will see oh that's great it, it works really well but then they have to, they're setting back saying okay what are we going to do with our business processes in place today what how do we have to change and if that becomes very overwhelming and daunting mm -hmm. and you know we we work with clients every day to make that happen so i want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the end consumer right we talked a little bit about what the uh, uh, what the retailer might have in mind, but but what about the end consumer? I don't know that we can talk about the end consumer without talking about this concept of hyper locality. Lindsay or Cindy, can one of you explain what is hyper locality and how have you seen it helping getting products to consumers faster? We're talking about local sourcing, local production, and designed goods that can be in a local area. And so the intention is that these hyper-local businesses operate within a local proximity to the high population and the retail dense areas. And consequently, a dependent subset of the supply chain has to be created in order to fulfill this on-demand customer. So as an example, where you're seeing retailers do this is you know, delivery within a one-day window, a two-hour window, right. a one-hour window. Right. And as we approach real-time delivery requests, and that's the, um, you know, the next brink, the next reality is consumers saying, I want this product right now delivered to me, just like we might deliver food um, and, and other items that, you know, personal care items and such that come quickly. We're looking at how do you have the delivery of fashion, for instance, or of 
um, you know, home household goods or anything like that, that can come as fast as one hour, two hour delivery windows. As we do that, I can't send that from one distribution center exclusively in Columbus, Ohio or Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I need to be able to deliver that from a location that's very close to my consumer's urban area or even suburban area, but in a highly dense population area. Um, and so what we're seeing is we're seeing stores to become fulfillment centers. We're seeing uh, dark stores that exist. We're seeing uh, pickup from specific locations that uh, may use the gig economy in terms of getting Uber to deliver or other, you know, other services to deliver. And that hyperlocality really just means that consumers have an expectation to get something fast. We can't keep products in one central location in the country and say that it's a three-day shipping window, but we need to have them closer to the consumer so that they can get there in an expedited fashion. So Lindsay, how does that differ though from this concept of uh, micro-fulfillment? Meaning, you know, does that help serve the customer better and also support the retailer as well? So micro fulfillment is when I place small scale uh, warehouses basically and facilities in accessible urban locations that are close to those end consumers. And as I mentioned, those um, it's, it is the hyper locality and the requirement that products be delivered faster that's forcing retailers into this kind of micro fulfillment center delivery model where they um, need to have advanced automation either in the stores in the picking area themselves or in the store back rooms in order to be able to support delivery faster. We're seeing companies that are coming into grocery to do this, like grocery deliveries on the spot. We're seeing companies come into um, convenience stores and be available for this, but we haven't yet seen this bridge the gap in things like fast fashion or others. We have. Oh, excellent. I'm, I look forward to hearing it. <laughs> yes. share with us. So yesterday I was at Nordstrom's Men's on one of the safari tours that right. are hosted by NRF and they are doing that. What they have done to your point. So micro warehouses or micro fulfillment is just a subset of hyper locality. Mm -hmm. So if you can't get a source vendor to source something quickly or close, you use your small scale warehouses. So they have put a warehouse in New Jersey. They scan this region in the New York city area and they will have it delivered to you the next day okay. and then you can pick it up at Bopus by online pickup and store. I think you... that's so exciting to see that in the fashion space. And I think we're yeah. only going to explore more frontiers in retail with that. And the, yeah. And the two things they learned is, you know, you open the store and the other thing you have to think about now is and and re and retailers, two of the things that they, they're still coming at us from a retail perspective that people haven't really thought about yet is what does my new DC need to look like? What does the DC of the future need to look like? People are starting to think about it, but you know, that's, you know, we're, they're still trying to figure out how, what their stores look like. And the next thing's going to come is how are you, how are you replenished? What does my DCs need to look like? If I got to land drones in my DC to be able to pick up stuff, how do I have a DC layout? And then, but then in addition to that, what they learned was they built this men's um, store. And according to them, they didn't have enough space for backstock to be able to handle all the special requests and to have enough stock. So not only do they get fulfilled three to five times a week by, um, I think, yeah, each week, either the men's or the whole, the other one, they all, they're fulfilled every day, but they're also then fulfilled for all of these orders where they have a turnaround time of one day or less. And so they, they do, um, you know, there's, they have, they have a driving, they have a, a, they have trucks that they have, you know, sourced from a third party company and they go and they do a round robin and get all the goods. They bring them to the stores that have ordered them and they can, can replenish fast to these companies. But when they built 
the second Nordstrom's, the women's Nordstrom's actually put a lot more storage in it just for that fact, because the first one was, a, they, they learned from their first, from the first store that they didn't have any storage. I think we're going to see that transition in retail. I think we're going to see um, space in the stores transition from the front of the store to the back of the right. store where there'll be increased automation and increased um, availability of inventory in the back more limited selection and experiential selection in the front of the right. store. Right. This has been a great conversation, but now before we go, it's a time of the year where we're all talking about predictions. So maybe I'll start with you, Lindsay. Predictions for the future of supply chain and order fulfillment. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, we've, we've sort of talked about them in a roundabout way. When we look at the new future of distribution and how we fulfill goods, I think we're going to say, there's more AI and more machine learning that's associated with both our assortment making decisions, um, with the art being the inputs to that process, the outputs being driven based on the attributes that are predicated by the AI that tell us that the customer has a propensity to buy. We're gonna see more forecasts that are enabled with AI and ML in order to support the ability to get the product to the right place at the right time. And then we're going to see more micro warehousing and more disruption to what the footprint of an actual store looks like and the ability to bring drones, the ability to bring crowdsource delivery, the ability to have um, small scale uh, in immediate delivery windows come to our retail environment. Those are gonna be the consumer's expectations and are gonna put increased enhancements into the retail environment in order to make those a reality. And so I agree with you 100%. And in addition to that, but all of those are, are exactly what's going to happen. But from even the upstream front end from a PLM perspective, you're going to see more 3D design. You're going to see a lot more to get to speed to market because what we've seen today in the supply chain process is that, um, you know, that speed to market from design to finish you know, so how do how do they increase that? We have retailers right now that I know that we're working with that are focused on, you know, how do I make that all 3D design so that I can be faster and quicker at that? On, on the back end, from a store perspective, not only the whole assortment, demand forecasting, micro-fulfillment, and the warehouse fulfillment, but then the store is going to continue to evolve into more of an experience. You know, where is that sweet spot? I don't think there's, today I haven't, and I'm, obviously I don't go to all stores, I could, but probably bankrupt. But, you know, where where's that experience um, threshold? Like how much does experience does a customer want? How much do they want it to be convenient? You know, how much do they want it to just be speed and, and faster? And, and we're gonna continue to see that evolve. You're gonna continue to see how do we service the customer the best way that they are asking to be served. And that's, you know, it's gonna be in every piece of um, the retailer and supply chain, but it, it's gonna continue to evolve. I think you hit the nail on the head, enabling customer choice for them to choose between speed and cost associated with delivery will be the future. You've been listening to our podcast, Inside Retail, Supply Chain and Order Fulfillment. I was joined today by Lindsay Mazza and Cindy Lago, both from Capgemini. Thank you for listening in. My name is Vito. We'll talk to you next time.